folks, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist, as you know, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy, and I bring you a variety of healthcare topics, and I've done that for several years. Today is a special day. It is February 28, 2023, and it is the day that I launched my first book ever that I have written to the public, Toxic Exposure, the true story behind the Monsanto trials and the search for justice. You can find this book, by the way, anywhere you consume books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or through my publisher's website, Johns Hopkins University Press. I am in debt and grateful for my publisher, Johns Hopkins University Press, for supporting this book, standing behind it, and for publishing it. The book depicts the story of the first three litigation trials against Monsanto and their herbicide product Roundup, which has been linked to the development of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, a form of cancer that affects the lymph glands and bone marrow sometimes. I was an expert witness that testified on behalf of the patients, the plaintiffs, in these first three litigation trials, all of which were actually won by the patients. The last trial, which was the Piliads against Monsanto, was won with record verdict of $2 billion for the couple that sued Monsanto. So I write the story and the stories of these three litigation trials. So you learn a lot about what happened in courtrooms, what happened in depositions, and what led to these litigation trials. Now, Roundup is the most commonly used herbicide worldwide. And the main ingredient of Roundup is glyphosate. Glyphosate was patented by Monsanto in the 70s and was sold commercially for the first time in 1974 under the brand Roundup, which contains glyphosate plus surfactants in addition to other materials. But glyphosate is actually the main ingredient. The IARC in, 19, in 2015, the IARC, the International Agency on Research uh, of Cancer, or of research on cancer. It's a division of the WHO, the World Health Organization, published in 2015 their analysis that included reviewing all of the epidemiological studies on glyphosate, as well as the animal studies and cellular studies. And they stated and asserted that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. And looking at the epidemiological studies and a lot of research, the biggest association and causation was between glyphosate and non-Hodgkin lymphoma. This led to litigation trials because Monsanto asserted that the glyphosate is actually safe and causes absolutely no harm. It is important when you read the book to realize how the science was litigated in the courtroom between both sides trying to explain why their position is the accurate one. And I bring that to light through my lens, because I lived all of this for several years, and I looked at the evidence myself. And remember, it is impossible to have a randomized controlled trials where you expose patients to glyphosate and others that do not get glyphosate and follow them. So we have to actually recognize that we need to help patients and serve patients and analyze the data despite imperfect science. And that's really the nuance of evaluating what we are dealing with. It is very critical to understand that. So in that book, you are going to learn a lot about Monsanto, which was acquired by Bayer, the giant pharmaceutical companies. 
you're going to learn a lot about Roundup and the implications, and you're going to learn about the association with non-Hodgkin lymphoma and what happened in the courtroom. The explosion of the use of glyphosate or Roundup happened in the mid-90s when the genetically modified organisms became available. Now, um, the genetically modified uh, organisms, these are, uh, let me just explain to you what that means. These are the uh, organisms that were engineered in a way that they're able to resist the impact of the wheat killer Roundup. So in other words, the farmers are able to spray on the seeds and the seeds, they still grow. So that actually led to the explosion of Roundup. In fact, I'm reading here, uh, what you need uh, what you need to know is that GMOs have dramatically changed the agricultural landscape in the United States and around the globe. GMOs, corn, soy, cotton, canola, alfalfa, and sorghum were genetically modified to be tolerant to the use of, of the glyphosate-based wheat color Roundup. And these were called Roundup Ready or Roundup Ready GMOs. So, uh, you know, in fact, if you look at um, that, this led the farmers where I can use the uh, Roundup for the weeds, I can still use Roundup Ready for these seeds, and, and there would be really no problem. So there was a really significant explosion of the use of Roundup. Uh, and I think understanding the significance of that is going to be important. And this is really highlighted in the, uh, in the book which I really hope that you're able to take a look at and uh, and read. And I'm looking forward to you telling me exactly what you feel and um, uh, your feedback. Now, to help me in this inaugural episode, I am honored and privileged to host the amazing Dr. Nassim Talib, the book author whom I read all of his books. And uh, I just cannot tell you how much I admire not only his writing, but his thoughtfulness and what he actually brings to the table. Nassim Talib, Dr. Talib received his bachelor and master's of science degrees from the University of Paris. He also holds an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and a PhD in management science from the University of Paris. Dr. Talib is well known to the entire world. His books sell millions and millions of copies. Uh, I still love, actually, uh, Skin in the Game and Black Swan. I think, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding, I'm a little bit biased, but these were really my two favorite books. But every single book is an amazing book that you must read. Dr. Talib uh, got exposed to GMOs and he started learning about GMOs. He's going to share with me the story and Monsanto. And there was this, all of this debacle um, that uh, occurred in his life when it came to Monsanto, Roundup, and GMOs that he will share with me on Healthcare Unfiltered. And Dr. Talib, Nassim Talib, generously reviewed the book and read the book, and he liked the book. And the fact that Nassim likes my first ever book means the world to me. So I ask for nothing else at this point. I'm very honored that he uh, read the book and he has positive feedback on the book. He will point out a couple of mistakes I probably made. I mean, nothing really uh, major or uh, it's just trivial, but uh, it's Nassim. So he must have something that I did not do uh, perfectly. And uh, he has generously agreed to come on the podcast to share his views about the science, about what has happened 
with the genetically modified organisms uh, to tell us a little bit about his books and how really his books apply to what we actually uh, went through. And he will share also with you and with me uh, his views about the, the book. And of course, I'm going to plug in this show by asking you to rate it, subscribe to it, and refer friends and colleagues to it. I also ask that you watch it, if you want to, on my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Now, you can visit my website, www.shadinabhan.com, or go my Twitter feed, at Shadi Nabhan, and share your opinions and feedback and direct message me with any ideas that you actually want. And if you are a loyal listener, I will mail you the fascinating and the best t-shirt in business, the Healthcare Unfiltered Podcast t-shirt. Just let me know and I will do so. And here it goes, Nassim Talib on Healthcare Unfiltered, talking Roundup, GMOs, Monsanto, and my book, Toxic Exposure. You've written so many books. As yes. you read my book, uh, I don't know what's yes, your. I tell you, okay, for someone who's not a, from the publishing industry, you don't uh, look at a book with external uh, standards. You look with internal standards. Okay, it's, did it uh, did it uh, speak to you or not? And it spoke to me at many levels. The first one is. You're, uh, you appear to be very humble in it and with a lot of anxiety that shows in the pages. Hey, I was cold, I had no idea, I was shaking, I have to speak in public. When I speak in public, I, uh, I have stage fright and going in. So, and, so, and the, small, the small things make a book alive and makes a story alive. So you always do better embedding a story in a personal experience because it's genuine. So to me, a good book is something that's genuine. And a bad book is something that are not genuine. People in the industry don't understand. Sort of like people looking at uh, corn, you know, whether it's GMO or not, it looks better when it's GMO, therefore they, they you know, because they're not eating it. So so this is where they have a wedge between the, the professionals who just read books for a living and people interested in a genuine topic who read it, and particularly when it's presented by someone with whom they have similarities. Right. Although I think the food in uh, my part of Lebanon is uh, not as good as the near part of Syria. <laughs> no, not far. We're closer, actually. Syria or Lebanon, you know where the, the... Oh, no, 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 because the 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 food in northern Syria is probably the best in the world. From Aleppo all the way to uh, what's now southern Turkey, it's the best. Far better than Lebanese food. Don't tell anyone. So, so the whole idea of having commonality with the the uh, with the author scientist uh, makes it uh, makes it uh, a different experience. This is why, and, and people and, and editors kind of don't understand that. So they don't understand the value of some do, but in general, from my experience, they don't understand that aspect of books, which is why they're not good at predicting successes. So there's that aspect. And also the small anecdotes, like uh, like with someone um, when when the loyal Lombardi uh, hands you a bottle of water, uh, and you ask him if there's glyphosate in it, <laughs> a Roundup in it, uh, because 
there's effectively a lot of stories of people claim, oh, it's so good, uh, it's so safe, we, we can even drink it, but yet they don't drink it, <laughs> okay? Of course. Uh, of course they don't drink it. And then Lombardi also, in your story, showed someone who knows what I was talking about, and Lombardi comes in as a hotshot lawyer who is there to BS, okay? And and I like that scene right before you went in when someone gave you a piece of advice and told you yes. Lombardi won the uh, Litigator of the Year Award. He's probably the hottest lawyer uh, in, in that area of one of the most poor in America. He said, but he never treated anyone for non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I think that scene, you can imagine, you know, the, 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 that scene is just like puts flesh into a book. So uh, this is what I liked about that story. This is personal. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I... I uh... I, uh, you know, I wanted just to let people know what I went through from my lens, but I did not want to make the book about me. I wanted to make it about... <laughs> it's, it's a background. Yeah. About the, the patients, about the, the, the story, about everything. Nassim, uh, to me, this is a black swan event. I hope you know that. <laughs> let's let's get to the point. Let's, yeah, let's... yeah, we'll get to the point. But I want to make sure you know it's the black swan. I'm very honored to be, uh, see, my father was an oncologist, and I'm very honored to be discussing uh, oncology. And, and as you know, just, you know, I've been involved in a, in a, a modeling uh, dose response. And yeah, so, so wait a minute. You don't it fits well was you send me your book, and I was, I was seeing it fits right into the story of the dose response to uh, Roundup or uh, glyphosate. Or so so you, you're an economist, but yeah. you are I'm writing oncology papers. I'm not an economist. I don't define, so I don't self-define, identify as an economist. If you know, you have to have a profession, you have to self-identify if people are paying you for it. Okay, but if if you're not uh, being paid to be an economist, you don't have to self-identify as an economist. My uh, my studies, in fact, my technical work and studies all are in probability, but complex um, aspects of probability when you have time processes, okay? So probabilistic uh, modeling, that's my profession. That's the one I identify the most with, but more generally I identify with probability in general, both philosophical, literary, uh, all aspects of it. Um, but the technical, of course, is the part that I find the most entertaining. Contrary to, to others, the mass is the easiest uh, compared to the uh, more philosophical or even the practical aspects. But, so, but, but gr I, growing, growing up, how did you end up in that round? Okay, like, I mean, my, 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 uh, my father, like you, was an oncologist, and, uh, and, he, um, and, and deep down I thought he wanted to be a scholar because he had a lot of intellectual curiosity, and he uh, published on the side, did a PhD on... Uh, on uh, genetic distances and um, and metrics uh, using blood of, because his specialty was Mediterranean lymphoma and, and other diseases. So he's just discovered a pattern to population that was counter to the narrative. And he published on it. He published in the, in the field and got a doctorate, uh, not, I mean, a, a PhD in anthropology based on, on the stuff. So he was intellectually curious. And um, so, and we had a library at home. So I was I had access to a library, and I realized that uh, the, the ideal life is basically to have a big library and uh, 
uh, now my ideal life is to have a big library and many bicycles, all right? But <laughs> I'm more modest. So a big library and have a good life uh, without having, you know, and produce whatever scholarly work you want according to the highest standards, but without having to owe anything to anybody. So that was sort of like my idea. And, uh, and I started wanting to be an author early on, but visibly I wasn't talented. Uh, I realized I wasn't talented to be a literary author, but not because I'm talented, I wasn't even interested. I like to write, uh, you know, uh, um, things that are more formal and, and uh, philosophical to the practical uh, uh, and, and to the detail-oriented uh, aspects of being a novelist, but there's still a little bit of a novelist in me. So... Uh, when I wrote uh, the first book, the uh, public book, was uh, Food by Randomness, which was my first non-technical book. Before that, I had a technical book. So when I, when I wrote Food by Randomness, basically, I had philosophy, mathematics, finance, probability, and I had uh, fictional characters in it. Plus, I had autobiographical section. So nobody wanted to publish the book. They said, well, you're self-indulgent, you have to focus, you have to learn to focus, uh, you've been financed, give, tell people what to buy tomorrow. Uh, if you're not, uh, if you're going to be in philosophy, you should write a philosophical thing. It's a different building, different publisher, you know, maybe they'll publish you and you sell five copies. If you want to do this fiction, go write fiction and go write a novel. You're a very confused man. So uh, visibly, they had their, uh, I said, no, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to publish it you know, as is, and I ended up publishing it, and it became a success. Basically, it's a combination, finance, probability, everything together, and uh, in the literary background. And uh, so, and I said, they say, well, you have to focus. I say, you only have to focus if you're writing a scientific paper or a manual of how to use for for dishwasher users, you know, by the dishwasher. <laughs> You have to be focused. But if I'm writing, I'm writing on my own terms. So I decided to start writing on my own terms. And turned out to be very successful. So Fool by Randomness was the first popular one, but the Black Swan actually preceded it. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I wanted to write, no, I mean, in, in, in the writing sequence, I was writing about the Black Swan, and I stopped to write about randomness. And I realized that that section was going to be so long, it deserves to be a book by itself. Hence, I had the idea to do Fool by Randomness, The Black Swan, The Inserto. And by then, by volume three, I already had in mind a collection of books. And now I'm working on volume six of The Inserto as, as, as we talk. So, so I'm progressing. Now, uh, uh, how to identify? If you're, it's the same, the same question applies to an individual, you know, as the one I presented before, if you, they're not paying you for your book, all right? You don't have to tell them whether it's fiction, nonfiction, autobiographical, scientific, non-scientific. You write the book you want, and that's it, all right? On your own terms. It's the same thing as far as profession, you see? So a little bit of background, uh, I started trading in the financial markets early on. And and and, and after that, I went to, uh, to finish my uh, doctorate and those studies and came back to trading a little bit. And then uh, when I was trading, I was trading complex mathematical products that kept me focused on probability. And then I enjoyed the field. So I did things uh, backward. Mm -hmm. Usually people go to uh, theory and then they move from theory to practice. I went from practice to theory. And then also I did also the reverse sequence. I started publishing uh, you know, in circle, I was publishing 
uh, non-technical work, and then moved to publishing scientific papers. <laughs> so did it backwards. I, backwards, exactly. I published the Black Swan, and then but I had notes from before that I wasn't publishing. And, uh, and, and uh, since after the Black Swan, I wrote 80 papers, 80 technical papers. Okay, I mean, almost all published by now, I mean, or being published or uh, any technical papers after that, usually our first author. So, so you don't have to follow any sequence. If someone's not paying you, they have no right to tell you, right, to, to give you a, a personal identity, uh, a professional identity or anything else. Nassim, do you, do you remember the publishing houses that rejected your uh, full bar random sense? I have I have taken there's an essay how I write and have, have, there's one interesting thing that they did not uh, uh, you know tell you sorry it's not for us they went out of the way to explain to me <laughs> why my book would flop so it's like saying Warren Buffett you know says okay I'll I'll buy one stock and ten thousand okay but I'm not going to say that the other companies are going to fail all right it's just that you know I have a high filter. So instead of telling me, listen, I have a high filter. I don't want to take risks. I go for short bets or uh, some classes of uh, books that fit our profile. They mostly went out of the way to demean me. Wow. Right? Say, uh, this is, uh, you're an amateur. Uh, so, and the reader will know you're an amateur. This would be an amateur means you love what you're doing. And, uh, and stuff like that. I mean, the letters I got are mind boggling. And then when you sell, you know, five, seven, eight, nine million copies later, you still think of the beginning as with these poor people who write books today, right? Getting advice from the same people. Because again, the two kinds of people, those who write books and those who theorize about how books should be written. And those who theorize how books should be written or failed writers often end up in, in the publishing industry. I'll have to tell you when I uh, when I started writing my book, uh, somebody told me you know have to reach to literary agents so they can, you know, stand behind your book. And I I never forget. I'll share this story with you. I I, you know, I sent a couple of chapters of the book to somebody who's supposedly a great literary agent. And eight weeks passed by, I didn't hear back from him. Then finally emailed him. Finally he responded and he said. Um, you know, I like the story. I think there's a story in there, but there's no passion behind it. I can't stand behind this work. I feel it's like literally he demeaned me in a way. Uh, I... He's, they should have said, sorry, not for us. Right. Okay? Like, like for example, when I go to a restaurant, I say, okay, I prefer to have mulukhiyi than having uh, <laughs> a pastorma or something like that. You know? to explain something, demean people who eat mulukhiyi. So you, you, this is a much more honest approach. Uh, to the thing, so so I've read it. Okay, if you want to talk about that. Uh... <laughs> oh, before we went to Arabic, you know how it is. It's not Arabic. It's Levantine. It's Syrian. It's Levantine. 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 A different grammar. A different uh, different uh, vocabulary. Go ahead. I know a little bit of French, but very uh, immature. No, it's okay, that's that's either Levantine or English. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, tell me what, what got you like this you, you became very interested in GMOs, genetically modified organisms. And I think that probably led you to this beef between you and Monsanto. Is there a history behind it? How did this start? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um one day I got uh, I went uh, to a conference of a lot of hot shots. Okay. Uh in uh and actually, let me not hide it. Uh, it was Elon Musk was hosting it in his quarters. Uh, and it was all these hot shots talking about uh, the genes of tomorrow. 
So I spent, uh, I think it was three days of meetings where each one would present. And they would present, there was, there was a fellow from Harvard. I, will, I, I left there, uh, you know, with a profound anxiety by saying, these guys have no clue. They can blow up the world with the technology. There was the, the, the chairman of Google, the, 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 all these guys were there with into technology, that kind of a group of people. And um, a journalist recently found the video of the conference on the web. But the, so the, I left very, very disturbed by saying that the way things were, I've seen so many people blow up systems and finance. And by then, I made the classification that exists in the black swan two classes of risk. And when you talk about glyphosate, is one class of risk that I explained for an individual, and one for a system, multiplicative risk for the system. So let me give you uh, the difference between the two. When uh, let's say that, uh, and let's apply to COVID. Okay. So when when you want to test if uh, you know if the risk is high, you know to act on on. You look at the probability of incidents, you know? Okay, so the uh, a lot of people in the beginning when COVID was uh, taking place did not understand that there were two different classes of random variables. And then they were comparing COVID to deaths, uh, drowning in your swimming pool, okay? And someone said on TV, they said, we have uh, 3,000 people dry in the, uh, you know, uh, die drowning in a swimming pool every year. And the same, but same order of magnitude die falling from ladders, or say we yet, and say we don't shut down swimming pools yep. for such a number. And then my uh, my point is that you're mixing multiplicative risks for for uh, what I call uh, you know centaled uh, risks. Uh, so if I drown in my swimming pool, the odds of my neighbor drowning in her or his swimming pool has not increased unless there is a particular cultural virus that makes people jump in their swimming pool. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so it's independent. If I have a car accident, the other someone having a car accident in San Francisco hasn't changed. Okay. On the other hand, if I die of COVID, the odds of my neighbor dying of COVID has increased. Right. So, so, so a different class of risk, something called multiplicative risks, and one uh, that we call the mediocristan risks, like uh, they obey the bell curve and they're independent. So, most medical risks, okay, are of the first type, okay, where you have exposure to something, you can, you can, uh, and then you remove the exposure. It's not but things that are contagious are of the second type, okay. So, and you analyze them in terms of something we call extreme value theory and uh, thought experiment. To, uh, today, you, 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 Ebola, you know, is killing maybe I don't know nobody or say two people a year. But let's say that you go to Mars or you stop doing your podcast for a year and you go to Mars and you have no contact with, with, with Earth, okay? And on the way back, you just have a little bit of contact and you hear a billion people have died. And some, and I, tell, I quiz you, I say, what's more likely that these people died of car accidents or Ebola? Right. Okay, if I tell you if one person died, to the, one person died, it's more likely to come from a car accident. But if I tell you a billion, it's more likely to. So you take the tail, and the tail conditional on having a large deviation, where did it come from? 
it came from the second type, the multiplicative types. So, so it's a different way to look at risks. And that's my specialty. So I published in it and stuff like that. And, uh, and the Black Swan was about people not understanding that you have what I call wild randomness, or we call, we call them power laws. We have classes. So we have mediocristan and extremistan. Another example is the, the, that if I take, uh, gather a thousand people, and I add to that sample the heaviest person you can find on planet Earth, your average is not going to change. See? So the average is like the, 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 if the person is four times the average person, it barely moves the total, okay, and the average. But let's say that uh, you gather a thousand people randomly from a planet. Oh, sorry, if you're lucky, you get a net worth of $200,000. Okay, let's say even if you get two million, whatever, but still. And then you add to that sample Elon Musk. Yeah. To the average. Okay, so uh, so let's say is that there's a process that everything comes from the exception. And that is the type two randomness. And type one randomness uh, comes from accumulation of a lot of small things. So uh, most statistical uh, work is done on the first type. The second type, my textbook, statistical consequences of fat tails, consequences of fat tails, deal with the thing that people are not taught, which is the first type. Mm-hmm. So you focus on explosive, complicated processes, tail risks, things that cannot be easily tested in a randomized control experiment. So when we saw GMOs, we said, okay, these people say it's safe. Well, there's no evidence of safety. And in statistics, you can never say there's evidence of of, of absence, I mean, uh, absence of evidence and other of absence. So they conflate the two. And you say that the GMOs, you know, you probably, you know, uh, could, if you test something specific in a box, maybe, but uh, you cannot uh, make claim that GMOs are safe. And the other thing is that don't seem even necessary. It's not like there's like a vaccine for a pandemic and we have no other option. And, and, and there are other elements in, in misunderstanding uh, the classes of risk and, 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 and risk analysis for these things. And, and also, they never did a controlled experiment. Even. But, and what is the problem? The problem is something goes wild and percolates through irreversibly through the, the plants and, and, and the fauna, you see. So that was, that was our idea of concentration of risk unnecessarily. Now, people will say, well, we've been doing selective breeding forever. I say selective breeding is a process. It's like the difference between uh, driving a thousand miles an hour and walking. Walking is not going to hurt yourself. Right. right. And there's a saying that uh, one of my co-author, Rupert Reed, uh, gave in a, when we first write the paper. He was my first collaborator with this. He's a philosopher in the UK, an environmentalist. He said, if you have, if your uh, horse is uh, blind, make sure it will be slow. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the idea. So, so that was, that's, that's one, one um, so, so that is uh, how I, I got into, uh, no, uh, and we wrote a paper on a precautionary principle. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I love I love the concept of precautionary principle, and I advise any listener or viewer just to look at this. But um, one of the things that the agricultural uh, companies and Monsanto, the manufacturer of Roundup and glyphosate, they contend that the GMOs are important to feed the world and to yeah. avoid world hunger. 
Yeah, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. Okay. Well, number one, something that was that, that an intuition that we developed early on, and and later confirmed after. I mean, before we met, uh, we heard the glyphosate trials. Is that we effectively figure out what the story was? They make a lot of money on glyphosate. Right. right? Now, why why do they need GMOs? More money. Plants? No, they need plants that are. Uh, that that are use the word uh, something like uh, about the glyphosate in your book. Uh, ra ra Roundup ready. Roundup ready. No, no, no. It is uh, that's something about it is uh, non-specific. In other words, it kills all plants. Yeah. So I mean, glyphosate. I, I forgot the expression you used, but it was an interesting one. So it is. Uh, it kills everything except their own. Uh, Right. Their own uh, product, but they but, but basically they're burning the soil of everything, so microbiome. But but that's not my business. That's not what we're interested in. If someone wants to destroy her or his soil, it's their problem. The 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 thing is that these things go uncontrolled, becomes out of control. So we wrote something called the non-naive precautionary principle with application to GMOs. So I started with uh, with uh, Rupert Reed. Later on, expanded, uh, you know, to uh, Yanir Baryam at the New England Complex Institute and his uh, assistant. Uh, he had uh, a lady who dropped out, and then someone else came, and then we started adding uh, adding authors uh, to the paper, and and explained that you have to have acceleration of harm. It's not like not naive. It's like you have to be in that type two randomness, not type one where the evidence takes time and the errors can be consequential and a bunch of other things. So it worked uh, visibly in convincing people. And from the documents, uh, internal documents of Monsanto, it attracted their attention. Right. A fellow, I think his name is, uh, I forgot his name, Schmidt or something, who was uh, one of their guys. And then the, the attacks started coming from all, all uh, all uh, quarters. So that, that's when they started hearing about you. Not, yeah, no, but their attacks start coming from the shills. So we identified some firms, just like, you know, there are firms that are created by Monsanto to promote science, right? but like are paid by Monsanto. And uh, and they find a bunch of losers who can't do science and they put them in there. So he, he has an MD. So we figured out a bunch of people. One of them is called Henry I. Miller, who in fact had article goes written by Monsanto and, and he made a mistake of publishing them in forums or other places, but effectively he's uh, bringing down the, 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 the newspaper as well with it. So so they had a bunch of start attacking us. And then, uh, but, but it was not working. And then they had the visibly uh, something quite vicious uh, in mind. They, they There's a firm, uh, let me run, yeah, the name is Ketchum. You know, PR firm and, and the PR firm uh, that effectively uh, is an evil PR firm, you see, because they specialized visibly, or they had a branch that specializes in smear, smearing. They have like a branch specializing in smearing. In smearing people, yeah, exactly. So they tried smearing. So, okay, is it going to be easy? Okay, so <laughs> my profession is in risk. I defend myself. I had. Uh, Technical work and risks. So, so visibly, they're bringing attention to me. This guy's against. You. Yeah. Uh, so, what and what would the strategy be then at a time to try to make you look like an evil person? So, and the way the and then of course they send letters to the university, all kinds. How can you have someone anti-science on your staff? 
and then you have talking about someone anti-science and they look at my record and say this guy does statistics and then uh, even you know we, we had uh, people make a statement that uh, I deal with fiction. Statistics is fiction. Okay, let's shut down all statistics department. Basically, medicine depends on statistics. So visibly, they have they, they collect all these losers visibly because you don't have to be very bright to or actually, if you have an option in life, you're not going to say, oh, you know, I don't. I'm, I've decided to be someone who does uh, smear campaigning. All right. So so they, these guys are not very intelligent. And, and transparent. So they kept attacking me and I had just finished anti-fragile and I said, let's see what it does to my reputation. Effectively, it enhanced it. But I, but the, 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 the interesting thing is that these idiots, instead of focusing on some scientific errors I made somewhere and, and blowing it up as, as Monsanto did in a trial with you, he said you had a, a naive errors, more little, like yeah, a type. Yeah. But then they magnified. Instead of doing this, they went after my personality. So by focusing on an arrogant egomaniac, right? Basically, uh, uh, someone uh, I don't know uh, called me up. He said, well, "These guys keep sending us letters saying that you're an egomaniac, but for me, it does not have any econometric implication, right?" <laughs> okay. So, so and then another thing they would do is something actually uh, much more vicious. You see, I was a cancer patient years ago, thirty years ago, and. Uh, uh, and and when uh, Armstrong, uh, you know the, the, the fellow with you know, whom I find is a fraud, he was fraud at many many levels, started boasting. But hey, I survived. I said it's not a very good taste when you're cancer survivor to boast that you survived because I remember when I was treated, practically everybody who was there died. Right. So I say, hey, look, I survived to the family. Look, I'm so happy that I'm going to have a cake, and then you're invited, and your 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 loved ones died. So. My statement was, I despise, as a cancer survivor, I despise those uh, cancer patients who boast on their success, okay? Yeah. Okay, it's not a competition. It's not Tour de France. And some people, whatever, some, some you know, it is, it is insulting to the families of those who perished. It's not like, you know, hey, they're losers, they died, I'm good, I survived, all right? So it's very, you know... Uh, the non-controversial statement, okay, particularly coming from a survivor. And then they start sending letters. How can we have someone who says, I despise cancer survivors? Well, or were, were, these, were these anonymous letters, like anonymous? Were letters, they no. So they had names, visibly. Or people don't have time to check. But when they supply the university with something like 1,500 letters, you know, some, so they have these groups. And yeah. then also what happens is that maybe Ketchum or some other similar firm funds a firm that funds, uh, you know, freelance people. And uh, at some point I use the R word because it came from French, which means idiot, you know, but it was synonym in French, but in US the R word is, has connotation. So they had all these letters of mothers, uh, what do they call it, uh, special needs, with children special needs, very offended that I would pathology, you know, that would, that would use pathology. Yes. So, but, but when, when you get, people get, 17 letters saying practically the same thing with different wording and sometimes can't paste the same sentence. You know, they realize that they're smear campaign, but they, don't, they couldn't even understand. It did not do anything except bring attention to that project. So, I mean, during, during that time, um, obviously it motivated you to do more, but did, uh, academically, did some, like the, the people oh. in academia, oh. they did not... Mm. I don't know. I mean, they, they, they was going to do. One of my job at university is 
whether they, they want you to publish or whatever got citations <laughs> yeah. and the genre universities too I mean they're not the university professor is not there to um, to be a uh, you know a talk show or a motivational uh, person or something like that you're there to do science so visibly the, 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 the no impact and and they, they saw it had no impact so they kept increasing. So so what? So I have now I have this is great because now everybody identifies me as uh, an A. You can't say the whole world on. Oh no, it's unfiltered. You can say whatever you want. So as an asshole, all right, that's fine. So I'd much rather be called an asshole than uh, than someone who fabricates data or whatever it was. But but and then in the process they brought you know they put indirectly they they got me in contact with a lot of other people who hate Monsanto. Yeah. And we did nothing, so including Sheldon Krimsky, <laughs> who passed. I don't know if you know. He yeah, died. no, I actually do quote him in the book, one of his articles. Yeah, so Sheldon, for example, uh, he contacted me. He was a friend of Ralph Nader, who also you know, uh, noticed our work. Um, and 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 so I started getting the support of people. Hey, you know, Monsanto, they did a lot worse, you know, to me. It looks like you're robust. And... Uh, Krimsky uh, called me up. He said, listen, don't publish your paper. I said, what? He said, because in, in, in the past, Monsanto, because you have freedom of expression in America, you can't sue a, a journal for, for something. But he, he said, they would sue the printer in the UK. Wow. Crack <laughs> the paper. So, um, so you realize, and then I don't know if you know about the Serralini study. I do. I do. Yeah. You, you don't discuss it. I, I did not discuss it in the book. It didn't. It didn't uh, come in the trials. The judge did not allow it into evidence. In the three oh. trials I was in, the Cirilliani papers were not allowed into evidence. Um, yeah. So I I stuck to whatever was allowed into evidence. Probably I should have mentioned them though. In hindsight, I should. No, no, it is not. The paper is, is may not be interesting by itself. What is interesting is how Monsanto not, not retracted the paper and tried. To go after the reputation of the fellow. Absolutely. And how at the end he won. As you, as we say in Levantine, Hablil Kizab Asir. Hablil Kizab Asir, exactly. In other words, there's this expression here people in America keep telling me, you know, it takes a, 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 a thousand times more to displace bullshit than to, uh, you know, than, than, than to, uh, to assert uh, the truth. Put it in, to assert, to put it in. We have the exact opposite expression. You can't hide things for a long time. So what was so what transpires in your book is how a, a corporation can be so evil as to not only uh, uh, you know hurt people with try to hurt with impunity but hurt science because companies like Monsanto by doing that I mean you don't bully your way through science are effectively hurting the scientific credibility of the system and large corporation. I mean, I have okay, I have a bias against large corporation with a small bias, okay? But we have, let's not forget, large corporation helped pull us out of, uh, eliminated, uh, helped eliminate poverty. There are like some attributes to corporations. And you can't really rule out, it's not because they're a large corporation, but now after the Monsanto, you immediately think large corporation hence evil, hence they're manipulating science, and let's have a bias against large, large well, Monsanto always contends that the EPA said it's safe, the regulatory agencies, blah, blah, blah. All yeah, but they manipulated, as you showed, the right. EPA. And, and I saw that uh, the uh, Justice uh, Shabra did not like 
uh, mentioned uh, uh, too much that the EPA effectively was an agency of Monsanto, but we had a lot of other uh, um, uh, anecdotal things showing that uh, they would hire. They would, you know, if you work for an agency, uh, and that's Elon Musk once made that comment. Probably he said he worries about it because uh, the job of uh, someone making uh, a very moderately uh, low income, uh, working for the government, is one day after they quit to work for a large corporation. So effectively, it's a um, intertemporal <laughs> bribe. So if you're nice to Monsanto, you're going to get a job there. And effectively, they hired a lot of people from Washington and from regulatory agencies. Plus, the other annoying thing is that they, they convinced everyone that it was being against GMO, was being against science. <laughs> and, well, and because because they, they played this hunger of the world. I think that, that the Trump thing is because... That's among other things. Among yeah, among other things. things. Well, you know, as, as a, I mean, you're, you're one of the smartest people I know. When you heard about Bayer acquiring Monsanto... Yes. Did you think this is, I mean, what did you think? Um, at a time when, after the acquisition happened, well, first of all, by then I said, okay, uh, I knew that, that GMOs are going to fail because it's a very complicated uh, way to do things that nature does better. And anyone who does uh, computer science would realize that yeah. it is much easier to, to work with nature. It has processes that, that we don't need to imitate. It's like, it's like you don't remove your, your hand to put an artificial hand. Okay, but <laughs> scientific. So, so you working with nature is, you know, we have a this uh, thing. You, you work with nature is better than 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 working against nature, and, and, and then also, I mean, it would not be cost effective. And the other thing is that uh, people today prefer to eat like their grandparents did, correct? Great parents rather than the other parents. You know, we don't eat like we did in the sixties. We did like we we tried to eat like we did in the 1860s, farm to table, all that stuff. Okay, so that's a trend. Uh, we discovered also other things about what, why wh where the cost of food was coming from. If you take a tomato, for example, okay, at, at Costco, a tomato goes for a dollar. Costco makes two cents. Uh, the the grower makes somewhere between eight and eight and eighteen cents. And the rest is perishability and tra transportation. So basically, you have to focus on low-grade solutions, not high-grade solutions. That's, that's one of my rules, is that you always find the solution with the smallest side effects, and often it's low-tech. And effectively, as, as someone who worked with the, with the stochastic processes, there's, you, know, you realize that there's... A, you know, transportation is like you can optimize things, okay, and, and get a lot of results doing that. You see, so so the uh, so realize that uh, actually there's companies like Amazon by focusing on distribution, but because think about it, what's the difference between GMO and non-GMO at cost of uh, level of tomato? It's minor compared to transportation, and then the other thing is we have thirty percent of a waste problem with food. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So focus on these things, not small things. And the other thing is not even uh, true that it's effective. Effectively, it's a way for them to sell Roundup, it which has not been, it has never been. It has never been proven. It actually helps hunger. You know, you know, one of the analogies I like to use some of your analogies and apply it to what I've learned during these three trials I testified in. You talk um, in yeah. your books and about stubborn minority. 
uh, in certain elements. And and there are farmers, uh, Nassim, as you know, that just swear by Roundup and they want to use it. And they're like, they say, well, no way. I mean, I view them as the stubborn minority. Do you think they're that influential? No, no, that's, not, that's, not, no that's not the stubborn minority. The stubborn minority is the person who doesn't eat GMO. Because those who use Roundup, okay, we'll do without Roundup. You see, stubborn minority is like someone who only eats halal. Yeah. And when you eat with someone else, you force the other person to eat uh, to eat uh, halal because you, it, it can't happen any other way. You can, the, the, if you're a halal eater, you will never eat non-halal. But if you're a Roundup user, you would agree on, on not using Roundup if it's, you know, if it's expensive that day or if there another thing. It's not like they're married to using Roundup as a, as a you know, a, a requirement. So, so you, you, you don't, the, the stubborn minority works the other way. As a matter of fact, work the against GMO. Now, another problem is that people like Cass Sunstein, I mean, a lot of people on, on people think that hey, you know, uh, Republicans are evil. But in, in this case, we saw a lot more evil on on, on the other side. People should be worried more about large corporation uh, finding it uh, irrational to be against GMOs. Hence, we're against labeling. You know that even the Obama administration mm -hmm. was yes. a favor of GMO and would oppose labeling, say not to confuse people. What do you mean? You know, you're 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 allowed to know you do the label thing as what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they label practically everything in the store. They they tell you if it has uh, whatever it has peanuts and stuff, but they don't tell you that GMO to protect you. Right for making bad choices. That was the, the nudging idea. That that was what disgusted us against uh, the the establishment in Washington. And and I think that that both sides are equally uh, guilty. Uh, but if we're thinking bias, it's the other way. The the I mean, the Republicans love large corporations, but the Democrats they love pseudoscience. So, so that marriage. <laughs> I'm mean, supporting. I mean, Congress, they 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 did support. They 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 did. I think uh, that Monsanto owned enough people, including Hillary, was on a staff. Of, uh, another staff was uh, on the board of Monsanto. So you realize that they, they really did play the establishment very well. But in long term, this is bad for corporation and bad for science. Yeah. Because yeah. to think about what happened, a lot of people when the vaccine came, and it was necessary. When the vaccine came, and I'm a scientist, and I say, okay, you can't compare because the vaccine is in one in one person, not outside the person, and it's necessary. So like you're doing a trade-off between COVID, which you know has a lot of unknown, and the vaccine, which had at the time a lot of unknown, but from different class. So you uh, when when the vaccine came, a lot of people started, of course, doubting large corporations, Pfizer. And 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 I felt no, you know that that large I have a bias against large corporation. We should keep them under scrutiny, okay. But if they save the world, yeah. or they help save the world, you gotta you know you gotta go with it. See, we have no other option at, at that time. So it did hurt the, the the Monsanto did hurt the image of corporations who actually don't want to just be corporations. They're seeking seeking profits but within the rules so we need to tighten the rules of of, of the corporation getting involved in uh, in, in maneuvering and in, in playing with science and and as much as you think that europe is, is great they have of course that that uh, that agency of ia uh, iarc iarc you know which was turned out to be better in that case than uh, 
than the uh, EPA, uh, the Europeans have have their own problems with their own companies penetrating their own regulations. You see, yeah. so we would have to need to have stiffer rules uh, on on uh, in, in that scientific domain. Go ahead. Nassim, as you were reading my book, and I appreciate yeah. you reading yes. the book Toxic Exposure uh, that is actually literally launching today as we are yes. airing this podcast. But um, were there things that you were not aware of? What did you think as you're reading through the process of the uh, trials? Well, the first thing is, uh, uh, let me say it is easy to read. Uh, the it grabs you. And, and I, I remember that you loaded, you, I know where the influence comes from because you, um, you embarked on uh, on binged on uh, on uh, legal uh, thrillers. Yes, so, I do like I do like documentary thrillers. <laughs> exactly. So visibly, it, it it smells of someone who wants to do a legal thriller. And given that I'm not interested in legal thrillers, but interested in uh, in risk, it was it was beautiful because I I was like uh, you know. Uh, uh, it, it was it was like page turner, okay. So uh, really page turner, page turner, hopefully for doctors, and it showed, but in a very understated uh, way, the evil uh, aspect of Monsanto's practical examples, uh, and it also on your side you were very genuine. You say, oh, I made this mistake. I was terrified. Uh, how you were, uh, uh, and then you talk about your background. Uh, one mistake you make is like Syria existed in 1946, but existed much, uh, you know, before it's, it's, it's conflating administration of, of, of the modern state with the existence of a state. Syria was a Roman <laughs> province, all right? So you should say, as a, a province, Syria started to exist when in in the in the first century when it was it was uh, you know made into a province. I said antiquity. <laughs> no, no, it's not 1946, but still. Okay, so it's not a mistake so much as a reflection of uh, modernity. Um, so, so it was. I mean, it reads like a, like a, I would say, like a thriller. Even better because we are interested in, in, in the scientific uh, uh, aspect of things are, are uh, you know, uh, uh, would enjoy it better than than a random uh, legal uh, thriller. The, the second thing is there's a, method, a lot of methodology to be picked up here the way how do you prove absence or no proof absence. And I picked up the first thing in the beginning, page 132, when, when you say, well, you were listing the potential risk hazards. And, uh, and then there's, of course, it's idiopathic is the uh, when, when, when someone has uh, a, uh, say, uh, we don't know what's happened. What yeah, happened. What happened. Someone has a uh, 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 lung cancer and uh, but, and then we don't, it's none of these. Or, and, 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 and it's interesting how Monsanto uh, uh, was, was playing on people's misunderstanding of uh, conditional probability. It's amazing. Idiopathic is conditional on none of the, whatever, one through N potential causes. It kept coming up, this idiopath, this idiopathic know, thing. Idiopathic is, is the residual. It's not... You know the 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 the, 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 the a class of risk factors. The idiopathic is not a risk factor; it's a residual. That's the way the way it's used. Yeah. So that that was very interesting, uh, and it's linked to absence of evidence, not evidence of absence. 
the other thing is how Monsanto will keep doing what anti-vaxxers and people today on the web are doing, cherry-picking medical papers. And within the cherry-picked medical papers, cherry-picking three lines from that. And in your testimony, how you countered the fellow, right. the Monsanto lawyer, by saying you're asking, you're asking me now, oh, that paper, you're, you're listing three lines, as uh, two lines as representative of the whole conclusion. It's very similar. It's like someone taking my statement, I despise cancer patients, you know, yeah. rather say as, as, as those cancer patients who boast having, you know, won a victory against it. So, 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 so that, that, that stuff is, um, but it was very interesting because how, how the legal system works, because if you have, when you have a jury mechanism, uh, you have to play with, uh, what, 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 uh, people who work with decision science called represent, representation, representation like uh, the the uh, the salient, okay, is not necessarily the statistical. So you come up with analogies and think that that sort of suspend your your analytical reasoning. Yeah, and and, and, and and you know what's what's what I've learned as somebody who just watches legal stuff on TV until I found myself in the courtroom, it's all about how you convince the jury. So, you know, science could be complex and you have to simplify it to the jury. So if you're able to read these three lines to the jury and the jury, that's all they remember. Yeah. I mean, that you win a point and, and it's, it's fascinating because they would say, well, read these three lines for me. And then you can't always counter because the judge would say, well, just do as he tells you. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have to put this in context. Like you can't just exactly. let me read like three lines. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, things pulled out of context. It's, it's the cherry picking is is it's practiced everywhere in finance, where someone shows you look how much money they made, they'll show you how much they've lost elsewhere in the other funds and how they're they're they're, they're uh, uh, cherry picking, you know, selective, prevent very selective evidence. Uh, I mean, so this is this is uh, it's a not quite interesting story uh, about the tort system because in the skin of the game, I spoke about the tort system, and in the end, no regulation replace that mechanism that we have in America, where basically you are responsible for harm done to others. And uh, luckily for Monsanto, they were purchased by Bayer. Before that happened, it would have hurt them a lot more. Well, the the, 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 the market cap of Bayer went down by third. Just yes, but the executives of Monsanto, you see, collected money when they sold to Bayer. So in my opinion, there is more than foul play there because they probably knew what was going on and did not show the full extent to bear. Yeah. Just like so. they hid from 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 the the patients from the from the patients that, that they knew about the cause, they knew that it was potentially carcinogenic. They also hid from Bayer that you know there was a lot of stuff. It's hard to believe that if Bayer goes retrospect, they would still do the same deal. You know, it's it's we don't know, but it's very hard to believe that Bayer would still execute on that deal had they known the economic impact okay. of what. The... But let me ask you now: Why is Roundup still in existence? So yeah, as you finish the book, so there are two things that are um, going to happen. These are small wins, by the way. I don't think they are huge wins. Yeah. But uh, they're written towards the end of the book. So one is Bayer as uh, a way of mitigating their financial liability and legal liability. They've decided to remove Roundup for residential use from the U.S. market. 
2023. I still see it in the market, but technically it's supposed to be removed for residential use. So only farmers and pesticide applicators are able to purchase Roundup uh, in its current form. So they are supposed to replace glyphosate and replace that with something else. We don't have a lot of detail what that will be. And we don't know what it's going to be, but supposedly in 2023, it will no longer be available on the shelves for residential use. The second thing is there was a court uh, order to the EPA to re-review the evidence. And uh, as there's more evidence that was mounting, there was, I think, the Ninth Circuit of, uh, I don't want to misquote myself, it was a while, but basically... They told the EPA, you have to re-review the evidence and make sure you've done the due diligence because we feel that some of the evidence was not reviewed methodically and properly. And the, uh, the new report for the EPA was due in October 2022, but they requested an extension. So there is no new report yet that came from the EPA, to my knowledge. That will be interesting to see what right. the EPA will, will issue again, because they were asked by the court to review the evidence again saying that you did not do the job that you were supposed to do. So this was these were two small wins. As far as why it's still there and you can go to Home Depot and Walmart and find it, I think I think that is the that's a that's a problem. Um and I was no was no no disclosure. There's no disclosure. Uh, yeah. And that okay. is one of the things that as somebody who testified in these three lawsuits um was disappointed with because at the end of the day we all and I make an analogy in the book as you know about cigarette smoking. You could still smoke, but you know the risk. You know the risk. They, they definitely show you the risk. You, your ads uh, for cigarettes are limited. Uh, yeah. But but you, but you know the risk. It's a matter of our choice. And and I think here, there are people who still contend it's safe. Uh, they don't know the risk. And it depends how heavily involved in the science and how much you follow these lawsuits. You know, Monsanto did win subsequent cases. And the reason they won subsequent cases... Uh, these were the first three trials, and all of these three trials actually were won by the patients and the plaintiffs. So Monsanto settled the majority of the cases, and they only took few cases after this to court because they were very weak cases and because the plaintiff lawyers, um, you know, they wanted to take any case. And, and suddenly, you know, to the public, they've won few cases, but I think these cases were, were very weak, and they were not tried by the same legal team that tried the first three cases. Did Monsanto lose more money uh, from the legal liability than they made on the product? It, I don't know that. That's a very good question. That, that's, that is central, just to make sure. That would be a nice story to say that at the end, you know, it is better <laughs> to be honest than... I mean, the settlement is over $11 billion uh, that they have to do. And, and as you know, they have to pay some of the, the cases that they lost. I mean, the Lee Johnson case, they ended up paying in excess of $20 million uh, after all of the appeals and all of these things. But what's, what's interesting is, you know, from a shareholder perspective, the uh, you know they lost confidence. I mean, there was a vote of no confidence. Although the, for the CEO of Bayer, he still stayed yeah, yeah. in power. Now he's stepping down, and they have a. Uh, I believe I don't know if they named another one or not. But but I think economically, it's very hard to believe that this was a very good uh, adventure for Bayer. No no question, they've lost a lot of money in market cap. No no definitely. I mean, they lost uh, more than. I mean, the the the, the value of get Monsanto six forty billion. And and you buy something and you lose uh, uh, what a, a third of your market value. 
Yeah, I mean they, oh. you know, uh, and the minute they the these lawsuits go away, the, market, the, the, the market. market's gonna go up. Yeah, but so, but but you know what's interesting is no no no. What I meant is that there was a bull market for for equities, and they lost a third of the value. It's not like they lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean they lost. But the the thing is, I feel, and I don't know. I'm curious, Nassim, your thoughts. Like I, I feel that there will always be some roundup lawsuits, like asbestos. Like you always see the asbestos and lawsuits. You, that, this is why this is why it doesn't pay um, to engage in the class two risks, because eventually, eventually, when people discover, it's going to be you're going to attribute it to you, and will you know end up paying for it. But the the sad part of the story is that the executives of Monsanto. Are not uh, played what I call the Bob Rubin trade, which is like bankers. Um, Bob Rubin made twenty million dollars at Citibank. Uh, sorry, one hundred twenty million dollars at Citibank, mm -hmm. uh, doing you know hiding risks. Okay, and then when when things blew up, he didn't show up to work with a. They lost back everything they made. All right, they didn't yeah. show up to work with with a uh, with a checkbook to return his bonus. You see, asymmetry of bonus. Uh, here applies to the uh, to the Monsanto uh, people. I I was I was worried writing the book. By the way, I'm not gonna lie. Um, so I, you think I should be worried? It's okay, right? I mean, they're not gonna do anything uh, to me. The, 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 let me. I mean, in my case, uh, <laughs> I know what they did. I mean, they're not. Let's put it this way: the people. This is not an individual Monsanto. Can't be vindictive. The people want to save their own career. And and uh, and they're probably too disorganized, and it's gonna unleash uh, their horde of uh, you know smear campaign people. It's not gonna be very effective because, as I told you, these guys are idiots. If anything, may help your book. And they're probably gonna go on Amazon and try to put comments. Just don't worry about it. They did that to uh, uh, Carrie Gillum, you know her book. Yeah, I do, and I don't think it hurt her. <laughs> you know, they're they're not very intelligent, but and and it looks like in the end science will win, thanks to the court system. The beauty of the court system in America is that the in in the end you you you're you're you you know no matter how powerful you are, okay, you have to submit to that mechanism. To the course, yeah. Not yeah. as powerful as, as Monsanto ended up there. It's much better than that regulation. They don't have that in Europe, or don't have the same culture. They don't have the same tort mechanism in Europe. That was the theme of uh, skin in the game. Companies in Europe have much less skin in the game than companies do in the US. With the unfortunate case of executives in companies sometimes do well when a company does poorly and shareholder pays for it. Yeah. The, so, um, the maybe, and I know I took a lot of your time. And I know. I, let, let, let's say one more thing that that we remembered that Monsanto is a very evil firm. We just want to characterize how it operated and then try to make sure that no other company does the same thing. Yeah. And look at the mechanism where they did, they try to control the publication system. They try to control uh, all aspects of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, the regulatory aspects, the uh, Washington aspect, uh, the, you know, the Congress, this is to try to control everything to be able to sell the product, you see, and, and that should not happen. So the, the, we, we do not, I mean, so we want the story of Monsanto 
to be a lesson on what an evil company does. I never thought I was going to be involved in how I never knew how big this was going to be. Like literally, it was. Um, uh, it's it's um, it's one of those things that you start and you have no idea where it's going to take you. And um, and here we are. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, folks uh, will read the book and will learn a little bit more, and they become advocates for science and and patients and people who are affected by this. Right. Thank you so much, Nassim. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. I'm honored. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been uh, amazing, fascinating, and a huge treat for me to have Dr. Nassim Talib on Healthcare Unfiltered. And certainly, I hope this is not going to be the last time that Dr. Uh, Talib comes on this podcast. Um, uh, next time, I think we're going to talk some of the uh, information about the Levantine food. Levantine food. Now, uh, you can go and Google what that means, but I'm not going to tell you. So such a pleasure to have Dr. Talib. Thank you so much for endorsing the book and being an advocate to science and the information that we all discussed. I hope you all enjoyed this special podcast episode that is airing on February 28, 2023, the day of my book launch, Toxic Exposure, the true story behind the Monsanto trials and the search for justice. I appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you purchase and order a copy of this book, which you can find anywhere you consume books whether it is Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or through my publisher's website, Johns Hopkins University Press. Special thanks to Johns Hopkins University Press for supporting the book and for standing behind the book and for publishing it. Don't forget to let me know what you think. If you like what you read, uh, re write, please, a brief review on the Amazon uh, webpage of the book. And uh, also, always let me know what you think by direct messaging me on Twitter or by uh, checking out my website, www.chadinabhan.com. Before I let you go, I think it's fitting to leave you with a saying by a Lebanese poet, Khalil Gibran. Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. Until next time. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for supporting Healthcare Unfiltered. And thank you for supporting my book.